my name is Amaris. You are welcome to have a seat. Um, now, I would like to start off by saying I am def definitely a um, daughter of my father, who is one of the most emotional men I've ever met in my entire life. And it's mainly over when he talks about the Lord. And um, obviously getting this sermon together was um, really exciting. Um, but I will say the last like two and a half hours, I've been like completely wrecked by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do my best to get through this without weeping. Um, just from like what the Lord has shown me through this scripture. And um, just encouraging you as a congregation. Um, but we will be looking at Psalms 42 today. So if you have your notes, go ahead and write that down. And the title of my sermon is Learning to Lament. Now, what is a lament? A lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Trevor made a slide comment saying uh, a few weeks ago that, or last time he preached on First Wednesday night, that he was going to pick a lament because he he's a sad boy and that he couldn't because I picked it. And he said, somebody check on her. But I'll be honest, when I picked this a few months ago, I was in a really rough place. And I was like, oh, I can relate to this. I'll choose this. Now, I'm in a different little patch of a season where I'm not sad girl all the time. Um, but I will say that my drive to this was I was a sad girl, and this really spoke to my heart in a certain way. But um, even though I'm looking at it in a different light, I am seeing the Lord show me things that I haven't seen before in this scripture passage. Um, so this writing here is a literary or musical term. They're not sure what exactly which one it is, but they know that they are super similar in the style of writing in scriptures. And unlike most of the Psalms, King David did not write this one. This was actually by, written by um, the sons of Korah. So the sons of Korah were actually a group of Levites whom uh, David had ordained as the ministers of his choir. And even crazier, they were currently with him in part of his exile. So we, we see two major exiles that King David went on. And one was when he was running away from King Saul. And then the second one was when he was fleeing his own kingdom to get away from his son Absalom's revolt. So uh, theologians are kind of torn between which one this is, which exile this is. So we will say one or the other. Um, but we know that, that the sons of Korah were with King David in this exile. So they were basically abandoned from their own kingdom, their own homes, their own people, their places, and their things. But you have to remember that King David was either going to be killed or have to kill somebody during this time. So keep that in mind. Either exile, he was either going to be killed or have to kill somebody. So we're going to look at the scripture today, Psalms 42, 1 through 11. It says, As a deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been f my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise amongst the festival throne. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and the heights of Hermon and the mountain of Mizar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breaks have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. So, so good, right? Um, I have never been ran out of a kingdom before, but I have been on my deathbed before. This is where my idea of who God was and a God who would protect me at all costs was all challenged. It caused me to struggle in my identity of who I was in Christ, and it tested my idea of health even after being healed. So even though I walked away from my deathbed healed and I'm here today, I still questioned what healing looked like and what health looked like on this side of healing. Regardless of what puts us in despair, here are four ways that this passage shows us to express our pain, our depression, our disappointment, our despair, our fear, and our needs to God in a manner that seeks to glorify him, but also is doing good for our souls. So four ways to help you learn to lament. The first way is to desire God. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And those specifically say, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And I wanted to also tie in 1 Corinthians 2, too. It's Paul writing. He was just saying, like, needs that he has had that have been met in the Verse 2 says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified alone. So I want to encourage you today that your desire to know God should be that you know Christ and Christ him as him crucified. And that be your foundation of all. You should desire to meet with God. This when shall I go and meet with my God is a inter an encountering with face-to-face -face being with God. So we should desire to be face-to-face -face with God. You need to set your heart towards the Lord. One of my high school teachers taught me that my heart posture is like a flashlight sitting right in my chest. And my heart posture either faces outward towards people or my heart posture shines up towards the Lord so that my light to others can shine brighter. So check your heart. Your heart position will matter. It's not just a figure of speech. It's a real connection piece. Yes. And for new Christians, if you're in the room right now, you might have just become a Christian or you don't even know how to set your desires toward the Lord. But when you cry out to the Lord, he will meet you where you're at and begin to change your desires when you spend more time with him. The better we know him, the better we trust him, and the better we know these few things. In Romans 11, 
33 through 34, it says that our wisdom is shallow and his knowledge and his judgments are unsearchable. In Psalms 92, 5, it says God's thoughts are deeper than ours. In Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, it says his love is deep and wide. Got some church church people in here, deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. All right, I know where my church folks are. Uh, John 3, 16 says that he proved all of that by sending Jesus to die on the cross. God even called David a man after his own heart. But when you look at who David David was, his heart's desire was to seek after God. C.S. Lewis, the mastermind himself, quotes, If I find myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to be satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Take that into context of your life. Reality is, is that we have needs and we have wants that only God can fill, but we look in so many different places, whether it be sex, money, drugs, anything. We try to fill those places that are only designed to be filled by the Lord. And so if you take inventory of yourself on the inside, you will begin to see and the Lord will reveal to you where you are wrong and incorrect and where you have put idols in your life, which is anything that is in the place or above God that needs to be demantled so that the Lord can move heavily in your life and that you can walk into freedom and to what you are called in as a Christ follower. We're going to look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ into a new life, sharing his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking these things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on the things that are on earth, which have temporarily value, for who died, for you died to this world and your new life is hidden in Christ God. Christ, when Christ, excuse me, when Christ, who is your, our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You must know how to call out to God. You must know because if you don't have a desire for God, that means that there is nothing living of God inside of you. And you need to start digging into your garden on the inside and dig deep to find the roots that are still alive if nothing's being fruitful. Number two, pursue humility. This is verses three through seven. Verse three says, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all the day long, where is your God? I love this because when people challenge us, when we're in our deepest, darkest moments, The unwritten answer to this question of where is your God is, I don't know. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so hopeless that you feel so empty and dry that you don't even know the answer to where God is in your life at the moment? Again, we see that the dryness of our heart condition is contrast to the tears that are flowing from his eyes in this scripture. When we pray, we are seeing that we actually need God. Prayer equals 
a spiritual compass. So this means that when you pray, it naturally brings your heart back towards the Lord and the ways of his business, right? So we want to be a people of our father's business. And the only way to know about his business is to becoming, sitting with him and getting to know him. You don't know some about somebody's personal business if you don't spend time with them, right? And you don't want to listen to the gossip because it's probably the wrong kind of business. Am I right? In order to grow your prayer life, you need to have a prayer life. You must spend time with the Lord. It is so powerful to have a prayer life. And the number one key to have a prayer life is having a prayer life. Verse 4, it says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with the shouts of joy and praise among the festival throne. Again, I said these people were directors of the choir, so they were, he was reflecting of a high moment that he had with the Lord as in hope that he can see and hope that he's already had with the Lord. Verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. And this here translate to us now that we're on this side of the cross, that he's calling his spirit forward, that he's taking the reins of his emotions and his will, and he's saying, okay, we're setting you aside, and I'm going to call my spirit man forward, and whatever you feed will lead. So if you're, if you're feeding your soul, your soul will lead you. If you're feeding your flesh, your flesh will lead you. If you're feeding your spirit, your spirit man will lead you. So take inventory of what you're feeding in your life because it will lead you. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and the heights of Hermon. So here he's having a contrast. He's giving you insight to the playing map here is that Jordan was a very low land. So even in the lowest places that he's been up to the Mount of Mizar, the highest point in that area, he's seeing the Lord in the lows and the highs, and he's reflecting on that in that verse. Verse 7, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breaks have swept over me. The waves are troubles that are sweeping him further into the sea. Overwhelming swells that are coming one after another, knocking his feet from underneath him. These reoccurring troubles or waves have plunged their souls into the deepest part of the ocean into sorrow and despair. Have you ever been there before where it feels like life just keeps hitting you in the face? And then you get a good swift kick to the face as well <laughs> in those waves. He's also experiencing that repetitiveness. No matter how far you get pulled out into despair or sorrow, no matter how far you may be under the water into the depths of your sorrow, God's ways are way more deep and more vast than any low place that you could be. Our depths are the shallows to God. So why think that he can't reach into our depths and pull us out because his depths go way further than ours. So we, he is able to pull you out of that place regardless of how deep you are, regardless how lost you are. God can still pull you out of that place. When you see how desperate you need God, how desperately you need God, you will see 
for your app, you, you will see your absolute need for him. And in Isaiah 6, 5 through 8, it says, Woe to me, I cry. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the angels flew from to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. When you look at the beginning of this little passage, you see his desperation of where he was caught in his sin. And he knew that there was no other reason but to be dead in front of the Lord because of his sin. He was not worthy to be in the holy of holies. But God made a way for him to be cleansed and then immediately sent out. So the Lord has a plan for you with repentance to be immediately sent right back out into restoration. So number three, journey with honesty. Now this one's going to be kind of hard for some people. It's verses 8 through 10. I've, uh, I told my boyfriend this a long time ago is that, hey, like, I know that the status quo is that men are weak for showing their emotions. But I just want to let you know that I was raised around two of the most emotionally connected men. And not showing your emotions is actually weaker to me. And so... Once we had that conversation, everything changed. But, um, but I say that to say emotions are healthy. You don't have to hide your emotions. Don't act like they're not there. God created you as an emotional and spiritual being. So why don't you step into that and release yourself from any shame or condemnation? Here we see the, the psalmist being very honest about his feelings and emotions. He's processing his emotions through journaling here. But also processing your emotions with the Lord is actually one of the healthiest tools that you can have that brings health and reconciliation. One of the greatest things that you can do is tell the Lord how you really feel. Whether it be positive or negative, whether it's screaming or whispering through tears, the healthiest thing that you can do for your own soul is speaking with the Lord about how you feel truthfully. The thing is, is that God already knows all, which is an even better reason to be very transparent with him. If anything, it's going to create walls that will sep feel separating from the Lord if you continuously hide yourself from him. There's no need to act like your emotions aren't there because they're super real and they're super valid. But we are not justified within our feelings or our emotions. But it does give us an opportunity to ask God to change our hearts in the midst of it all. We must learn to control our souls with every emotion that we have. We should not let them rule us or dictate us the way that we speak to other people, the way we interact with ourselves or our children or our parents, anybody, even yourself. Proverbs 16, 32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is he that who takes the city. I just want to let you know that you are free to pursue peace right in the in-between. That even though there's chaos around you, you are free and you have permission to pursue peace. 
You do not have to hold on to anything other than Christ and Christ alone and Christ crucified to get you through it. I'm going to look at verse 9. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by my enemies? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 9 and 10, we see that people that you're around actually matters. If the voices that you're hearing are only negative, then your thoughts will follow that negativity. And if you don't have an opposing voice to contradict those negative things, then you will become those thoughts and those words. So it's important to know scripture and have godly people in your life. That is why being in a small group is so important here at Redemption to us, is that you have a place, a safe place to connect with people, to better understand yourself and fellow Christians, so that you can have a deeper relationship with the Lord and a better self-understanding of yourself in the Lord. Let me tell you a story of the man of Korah. Now, I did already say the name Korah at the beginning when those were the sons of Korah, but I'm going to tell you who Korah was. And this story is in the book of Numbers. Um, you're going to hear me say one little phrase of gainsayers. It's G-A-I-N, sayer. Similar to a naysayer, but a gainsayer is a disagreeable person, one who contradicts, opposes, and denies constantly. Does everybody know somebody like that in their life, whether it be at work, at home, you know? <laughs> but Korah was a Levite who uh, him generally, I'm just going to quickly tell you the story. Pretty much, Korah and two men led a rebellion of uh, 250 men of the Israelites. And the reason why they were rebelling was because they were challenging Moses and Aaron's leadership, which inevitably was going against what the Lord had asked. Because of their disobedience and rebellion against the Lord, the ground literally opened up and swallowed the three men. And then the rest of them were all burnt alive right after they were swallowed into the ground. And they had major consequences to the rebellion. But I'm also going to tell you a story about King Darius, which is found in the book of Daniel. King Darius was tricked into making a law that anybody that worshipped another god or another person for 30 days would be put to death. The men who actually um, tricked the king had intentions to catch Daniel and have him killed. Now, King Darius was told about Daniel praying to his god because he never ceased to pray to God. And when, they, when he found out, he was in great distress because he had befriended Daniel and he wanted to keep him out of the lion's den. Obviously, he didn't want his friend to get thrown into the lion's den when he understood that he worshipped another god. Now, here's the glory of it all, is that when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, the king never broke his own laws. He followed through. He didn't make an exception for Daniel. But when he threw him in with a voice of encouragement, he said, Daniel, may your God rescue you as they sealed the lion's den. The king was in such distress that he did not eat or sleep or have entertainment that night. And as soon as the dawn came, he ran out to the lion's den 
literally screaming, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continuously been able to rescue you from the lions? Of course we know that no lion touched him thanks to the angel that came and shut the mouth of the lion. And that um, the only reason why is because that God did not see Daniel as in the wrong. He was innocent. So the Lord shut the mouth of the lion so that no harm came to him. But then at the end of the story, it says that the men who were falsely accusing Daniel were actually thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. So all of their lineage was cut off in a moment. Again, even the king did not rebel against his own law. You have an opinion, an option to be contrary and rebellious, or you can be encouraging. You need to be honest with yourself. And you need to check if you are one of those gangsayers in other people's lives. Are you a King Darius? Or are you a Korah in people's lives? And that's a hard reality, is that you might be both, but you need to check your heart of where you're at. Which one are you? And lastly, point four is declaring hope. Verse 11 says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior, my God. Our hope in life rests in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And our future belongs to him, and he will make all things right. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We have hope over these things, not because of what we can overcome, but because Jesus has already overcome them and that he will one day return. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. God is so great. Therefore, restoration is just around the corner, even if it's out of your timeline. We get the choice on how we're going to wait and lean into this. You either get to slip into darkness or you can see God in a new light. We must be hopeful with expectancy. If, if we look at verse 11, I kind of see it broken up into two parts. Is a part A and B in my mind. And the first part is, why is my soul downcast? Why are you so downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? And that to me is, if the question has not changed, if that is still your question, then the answer doesn't change either which is put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. Take the time you need to feel what you need to feel, including the good feelings. Feel the good and the bad, but take time for yourself to feel those things. For me, this is where I found hope in scripture through sickness. In Philippians 4, um, excuse me, Philippians 2, 29 through 25. I'm getting all shaken up. 2, 25 through 30. But I think it is necessary to send back Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs to be with all of you in this distress because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. But God had mercy on him. 
and not on him, but, but only also because of me, to spare me the sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him back so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the, in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help yourself, for the help you yourselves could not give. And I'm finally at this point in my life where I'm okay with what I experienced two years later, almost dying on the mission field. But I have to say that one scripture that I clung to was um, very, very dear to my heart. But I would say that I'm finally like Paul when he writes, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstance. I know what is, it is to be in need, and I know what it has to have plenty. I have learned the secrets of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the redemption of having the sons of Korah with David in exile is that though Korah rebelled against God and the leadership over him, his lineage was, not able, was now able to be a part of things of God in the temple as choir directors. This is an example of a family who led the most noted rebellion in the Old Testament. Enough so that Jude even talked about it in his epistle 1,500 years later. Of, a, of an example of how not to be a Christian, how, how to not be with leadership. They, weren't, they once were leading people into error and rebellion against authority, but their lineage was ordained to sing praises of God in the holy temple and leading people into the presence of God. This goes to show that through re the redemptive power of God, your past and your bad character in any season does not dictate who you are and what your family can become. Through these four things, desire God, pursue humility, journey with, I'm sorry, I think I messed up all my notes. Come on, somebody. If you know me, I'm a perfectionist. Um, so I'm like not having meltdown right now at all. Yes, pursuing humility, <laughs> journey. Y'all, y'all should see the notes right here, it's bad. <laughs> journey with honesty and declare hope. <laughs> this will become your lifeline in times of trouble and you need to be prepared for those trying times. And if you are from Southeast Texas or you've been here for a little bit of time, I'm sure you've probably heard somebody say, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on, right? That's what it's about. That is what it is about. And don't be overcome by those things. And I'm going to leave you with this. This is the scripture that I clung to the most in my deepest, darkest places in my life is Psalms 91, 14 through 16. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. 
I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What Jesus is hoping is that you don't just hear this word and you take off and run with it, but that you would get to know the one who gave the word tonight, which is the Lord. Um, it's been an honor to be a mouthpiece to you tonight. I hope you are encouraged. Um, but know that this is your lifeline. These are things in scriptures that are made for you to hold on to for those times that you are dragged out into sea into the depths of despair and sorrow. That there is a God who can pull you out of the depths of despair. And I want to encourage you tonight. I have a, a word from the Lord about um, depression. This lament is specifically over sorrow and depression. And the more I kept reading about it um, and getting more information was that depression can look different ways. But regardless of what you're going through, nothing is too great for you to take your own life. Nothing in this world is too great for you to take your own life. You have hope. You have restoration on your way. You have all of these things that the Lord has promised you that you do not have to separate yourself from this world because the Lord wants to step in and create something that you've never seen before in your life. So whatever, so whatever you're going through, whatever place you're at in your life, whatever season it looks like, might be the darkest place you've ever been or you might be coming into a darkest place you've ever been, but know that it is not great enough for you to take your own life. You have a home here, here at Redemption. We are a family, and you are in the family. If you need help, you reach out. Us in the flesh will grab, grab out to you, but the Father God, when you cry out to him, he will reach out to you and meet you there. 